Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport, Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Happy that you joined us for this edition of the show. Uh, On this show, we're going to get a chance to visit with Clarissa Shields, who, of course, is a two-time Olympic gold medalist, uh, has been a professional champion in three different weight classes, and on March 5th, she'll be involved in the very first all-women's pay-per-view broadcast, uh, as she takes on uh, Marie uh, Eva Dakar, and uh, that should be a very interesting event, to say the least. We're going to talk to her about that and also about her, not only her boxing career, but her plans on moving into the MMA world as well, which she wants to do simultaneously with um, her boxing career. So that should be interesting. And of course, we will also answer all your questions. And to help us do that, let me bring into the fray my partner, Trip Mitchell. Hi, Trip. How are you? I am doing great, Al, and we're only six weeks into 2021 and already some interesting results. There are. You know, uh, there were a couple of very good fights in uh, January, including uh, uh, the fight that we had on Showtime uh, featuring Stephen Fulton Jr. getting a a very big win as he won uh, a world title uh, in a terrific fight. And then uh, this past weekend, we had... A potpourri of everything you normally get in boxing. You know, we had uh, a fighter coming back uh, off a loss, Richard Comey, uh, after he'd lost to Teofimo Lopez to beat Jackson Mariñez, who is a good lightweight. Uh, and Comey looked very good in doing it and announced himself as back on center stage in a lightweight division where he uh, can now challenge perhaps for a world title again. He's a former titleist. He had the IBF title. And uh, we had a an excellent fight of two very good uh, featherweights, Jojo Diaz, who was a champion but lost the title on the scales for this fight. He did not make weight, went, came in over three pounds overweight against Rakamov. And so Rakamov had the chance to win uh, the, uh, the title. They fought in a very spirited and excellent fight. It ended up being a draw. So uh, Jojo Diaz lost the title on the scales. It will now be vacant. Rakamov did not win it because it was a draw, though he performed exceedingly well, as did Diaz, in truth. Um, And so now that title is vacant. Um, But they produced an excellent fight. Uh, Then 
in a major upset, uh, we had uh, Mauricio Lara beating Josh Warrington. Now, it wasn't for a world title because Josh Warrington had vacated his world title, but it was a significant fight, and Warrington was getting all geared up to fight in a major fight, possibly against Gary Russell Jr., who they presumably offered a million dollars to for the fight, uh, and other major fights. Lara uh, showed tremendous power, and this young Mexican fighter beat Josh Warrington in a major uh, upset. And uh, along the way, we also had, um, uh, what else would boxing be without a, you know, some very uh, questionable scorecards. Uh, and uh, uh, when Barrett uh, fought Kiko Martinez uh, in England, uh, Barrett won the, the fight, but won by, and, and won all three scorecards two of them by 118 to 110 against the former champion, Kiko Martinez, and won the other scorecard, 116-113. Well, any human being that has ever seen a boxing match <laughs> that watched that fight knows that there is no way conceivably that the scores could be 118-110 for uh, Barrett. And it was even uh, his promoter, Eddie Hearn, said afterwards those scores were ridiculous. So uh, we had a, a potpourri of everything uh, that you usually get in the sport of boxing this past weekend. And uh, boxing will continue. Uh, February's, uh, the rest of February has a bunch of important matches, and um, we're moving ahead into March. Yeah. And Al, we've been working together for a long time, but I still appreciate that you have me weigh in before every show. <laughs> we, I want to make sure that's very important. Let's go to the question. Vice Squad asking, hey, Al, been hearing some talk about Canelo, Caleb Plant meeting up. That would be a great fight. If it happens, who do you got? Yeah, you know, uh, it is an interesting fight and a possible fight that could happen. Uh, Caleb Plant, of course, a uh, young 28-year-old who is the IBF 168-pound title holder, uh, and even though he's made three title defenses, is still, to many people's eyes, not truly tested. Uh, he fought Jose Uskatagi, who was a good fighter to win the title, but has fought limited opposition uh, for the most part. And he's a very good boxer who seems to be getting better and better. Uh, and, of course, that boxing style, he hopes, will help him against the hard-hitting Canelo Alvarez. Now, Alvarez has to deal with his February 27th fight with uh, Ila Dream, uh, and, and, and he is a big favorite to win that fight. Um, uh, upsets happen, though, as we just saw this past weekend in boxing. But if he wins that fight, he wants to uh, fight again in May and then in September. And uh, Plant is certainly talked about as a possible opponent for him. Uh, you know, it, it is interesting because I think Caleb Plant has gained a certain amount of um, fan following and popularity. He's been on, he had a very highly rated fight. Uh, on Fox TV in the United States, uh, Fox's national network. And uh, they've showcased him several times on that network. And because of that, I think he's gaining uh, a certain following, which is part, probably part of what uh, is making him a potential opponent for Canelo. That and the fact that he has that 168-pound title, uh, the IBF version at least. Uh, I, is he ready for Canelo Alvarez? That's a big question. Uh, he's 28, so it's not like he just started boxing, and he does have a world championship. Uh, so I guess if you're going to take the shot, this is the time to do it. Um, 
and you know you could lose in the interim before you get that shot and then be maybe be out of the Canelo sweepstakes. So we'll see. It should be an interesting fight to be sure. Another interesting night for boxing will come on March 5th when Clarissa Shields, who, as I mentioned, is a two-time Olympic medalist, a a gold medalist, and has uh, won titles in three different weight divisions. And she's going to be shooting for four titles in the super welterweight division when she takes on Maria Dakar, uh, Marie Dakar from Canada on March 5th, a Friday night. It is a pay-per-view that you can see on all your normal pay-per-view outlets. And it's going to feature all women's boxing on, on this card, which is the first time that has ever happened. And Clarissa Shields, as you'll see in this conversation, very involved with this entire card and this entire endeavor. So she's kind of like an actor that's directing a film she's in or he or she is in. You can you can tell by in the discussion how much she's invested in this being an overall success. Now, the question that that raises, of course, is can she wear that many hats uh, and give her best performance? She says, yes, she can. uh, And you're going to hear about that. And here's our discussion with Clarissa Shields. Clarissa, you are on the, uh, the brink of uh, doing something pretty historical on March 5th when um, you headline a all-woman uh, pay-per-view card. Uh, and uh, I would think, in addition to the fact that you're preparing for an important fight, all of that history is not lost on you. No, it's, it, it's not lost. I think it's a big deal. Uh, women's boxing hasn't had a pay-per-view fight of this magnitude in 20 years. So to be back on this platform is huge for us. And I'm uh, doing all that I can to make sure that I'm prepared for the fight, but also that the fight does well because, of course, the numbers the numbers always matter. So I'm hoping that I can get some great numbers and uh, we can do more of these. You know, I was uh, involved in the, uh, uh, I was on the, the broadcast of the uh, Leila Lee, Jackie uh, uh, Frazier Hyde fight uh, when that happened, and uh, which turned out to be a pretty extraordinary evening on every level. The match was terrific, in addition to the fact that it created a lot of excitement. So yeah, I was thinking about that when, uh, when I was getting ready to interview you today. Um, so here we are 20 years later, and uh, this event uh, is is a special one. Do you have to be careful to not uh, let any of the promotional uh, uh, issues and your concern about making sure it's successful uh, affect your um, concentration as an actual participant? Yeah, you know, it's really something that I have that I shouldn't have to worry about. But me being being a being a woman fighter, I have to like I just can't you know go into a dark ball and delete all my social media and then just tell my team do their job like right this has to be successful on all levels like the numbers have to be good I have to perform well uh, my opponent has to you know bring her a plus game the girls on the undercard has to be exciting it's really. Um, it's really a big thing overall. So, yeah, of course, I would love to just not care about the numbers, right, and just focus on training because it's easier. But um, 
that's just not the routine in women's boxing. Well, not for me anyway. You know, I like I can't have an off day. If I go out there and uh, and we do decent numbers and I don't perform, they say, oh, Clarissa Shields has fell off and, you know, women's boxing is back to zero again. So I have to always be on my A game, but also have to be a, be a businesswoman at the same time. So yeah, it, it, can puts, be it puts a different, stressful, but it's, it's, it, it got to happen. It's stressful, but it has to happen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it puts an extra pressure on you to be sure, but part of that, uh, I, but I sense you're the kind of person that in a way welcomes the uh, some of that because you're not simply a person that's boxing and trying to win fights. You have a broader uh, kind of view of life. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely broader. It's, it's not just about me, it's about women's boxing as a whole, right? And then... Um, just trying to make, uh, just trying to give the girls a blueprint. So when I'm done boxing and I don't box no more, they know at least what we have to do to keep our sport afloat and to keep it, you know, rising up. And I've been telling all the girls, um, stop. Why we call them doing interview? Sorry. <laughs> um, I've been, I've been telling all the girls who I, you know, who I know, build your brand up. You know, and you choose what your brand is. If you want to be the big, bad, you know, wolf and you want to blow houses down, you be that. If you want to be the pretty girl, you know, who just got a good body and you know how to fight a little bit, be that. If you want to be beauty and bronze, be that. And and right now I've decided that my, uh, my brand has always been beauty and bronze. It wasn't portrayed as that. But that's what it is. I'm a beautiful woman and I have a great shape and I can fight my ass off. So uh, that's what we're going to sell. <laughs> All right. So it's a big picture. And that's uh, that's good. Fascinating, too, that you um, you're making the point that you can't rely on other people. If other people do their jobs and they help, that's great. But you have to take some self-ownership. And, and part of that is just the fact that um, if you're a woman cast in this uh, in this current role in a, a sport of boxing that hasn't accentuated women, uh, though it's doing it a little bit more now, you just have to take ownership of some of your own branding, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you can't let them paint out the narrative for you because then it becomes a narrative and it's a person that's not you. And right. um and that's just not what you want. I mean, boxing is hard enough. You know, we have, we got to train. We're always in a public eye. People always looking at us. And uh, people expect to see who they see on TV. So I'd rather just give off my authentic self than having to be uh, pretending all the time because I'm not a mean person. I'm like, I'm not a person to, you know, do like a whole bunch of, like I trash talk to girls when they trash talk to me. If girls leave me alone, I leave them alone. So um, I'm actually like, you know, pretty nice, but I think I've been painted out to where some of my fans actually fear me in a way. Like they're kind of intimidated or they think that I'll talk trash to them. And it's like, no, I don't. <laughs> it's not what do I think, do. Do you think some people think of your image as harsher than it actually is? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that people have, um, cause I really didn't care about my image at first. It was like, as long as I'm a great fighter, it is what it is. Right. But um, just the trash talking and the way that they made it seem like I was the bully against some girls when I when 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 in reality I was the one being bullied. I just handled mm. it better. 
right? But um, I think that I was paying out, of course, when uh, it, if you just see me box, you already, you already see like, wow, she's mean, she's ferocious and she hits hard. But then even after some interviews, after some fights where I was actually told to be nice and mm. to be cordial, and I was, and girls got in the ring, disrespected me on live TV. And uh, I was still supposed to keep my composure, but that's just not who I am. It was like, I was I was being nice and I was being cordial until somebody gets in the ring and said that they're gonna kick my ass after I just won a world <laughs> championship. He's like, what do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, change your attitude. Um, Let's talk a little bit about March 5th because it's uh, it's an important event. It is a pay-per-view in which you're going to be on the top with Eva Dakar uh, in a, a very good uh, matchup, uh, an undefeated uh, fighter, uh, you're, you, and you guys are fighting for the 154-pound uh, titles, and um, and a number of all-women fights underneath, so it's a, it's a, it's a unique event. Uh, let's talk first about your matchup with her. Um, She's a very talented fighter, and she's a left-hander. Uh, let's talk about that first. Um, have you had, uh, how is it fighting a left-hander? Uh, you saw many in the amateurs, I'm sure, and some in the pros. What's your general take on, on adapting to left-handers? Yeah, so so my opponent, uh, we both had a long time to get ready for each other. This fight was originally scheduled for May 9th, uh, 2020. So now we're going into a whole new year, been about eight, nine months. And, um, you know, she's been able to watch plenty of film. I've been able to watch plenty of film. But just her as a fighter, uh, you know, being 17 and 0 is very prestigious. And um, I've been able to watch her film. And uh, she goes in there, she's dominating all her fights, just like myself. Um, she got some quick hands, she got a lot of movement. And just fighting left handers like they're, they can tend to be slick and use different angles that a that a right-hander would not be thinking that they're going to use. So the punches are coming from like the total opposite direction. Like you think the right, well, you think the left hand is coming over here because you used to fight, you know, orthodox fighters, but instead the left hand is coming from over from from over here. So it's a little different, but at the same time, like I said, I've I got a different mindset when I when I fight against southpaws, and it's a different goal. Instead of landing a big right hand, you think of you know smother the jab, get away from the left hand. But that's fundamental, basic that I see a lot of fighters in today's time when they fight against left-handers. And I'll give I'll give an example: of Ryan Garcia versus Luke Campbell. When he got dropped, he was circling. He was circling into um, Luke Campbell's left hand, and then he got hit with it. Yeah. And then he got dropped. Um, but just the basic fundamentals is you you circle until you you smother the jab and get away from the power shot. Yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah. Then, and, and if you're going to go into the power shot, you have to make sure you're aware to get out the right. way of it. Yeah. The other thing that you do very well uh, that works against the southpaw, though people don't always talk about, it, is the double left hook. As you're moving to your left and you can throw that left hook, you have a very good one. Yeah, absolutely. So, so me and coach got a very good game plan for this fight. Um, and I've been, uh, been really working on my power. Not that I don't have it, but right. just cause I, I, cause I definitely have a whole lot of power. It's just about picking the shots and uh, knowing where to land the shots at. So my last fight, we was able to drop, um, Habazin with the body shot and, and that's getting us closer to the knockout that we want. So, so I think that the big knockout is coming and, um, 
I'm just gonna go in there and break Marie Eve to care round. I'm gonna break her down round by round, and 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 I think she's gonna put up a really good fight, you know, because she's 17 and no, she doesn't want to lose that O, but I don't want to lose my O either. So I think it's gonna be a highly competitive fight until um, I'm able to break her spirit, and that's what I plan on doing. Yeah, as you point out, she's a a a, a boxer puncher who has pretty good movement and. Uh, and uh, has a, a pretty, pretty good straight left hand, uh, has not shown uh, tons of power. But, um, but yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be a process uh, during the course of this fight. Um, and I mentioned that the overall card is, uh, uh, will be uh, occupied completely by uh, women's fights. Was that something by design that uh, everybody felt was a good idea to kind of call attention? Um, I've been said to my promoter and to my manager, Mark Taffet, I've, I've been told both guys, like, we can't keep sitting around waiting for the networks to give us an opportunity. We need to go out and make our own way. We need to go out on our own faith and just do well and do what we know that we can do, you know, and uh, stop being told by networks that we're not a pay-per-view fighter or that we're not big enough because I am... I am one of the most known fighters in boxing right now. And that's on social media. I got a movie about my life being made. I have a documentary out already. I'm the only two-time Olympic gold medalist in America. And to be told that um, I'm not big enough in the social world is like, how I'm not big enough in the social world and these guys who they're putting on don't even have movies being made about them. No Olympic gold medals not enough world titles to even be compared to me, but they're on pay-per-view. And I, and I, and I had told Mark that we need to, we, we have built a large fan base just over the last couple of years with the, with the platforms that we've been given all the opportunities we have taken, we have taken full advantage of. So now it's time to, to see if we built ourselves up big enough to where we are pay-per-view stars and uh, it has to start somewhere. So, in a way, I want this to be super successful, right? But then again, let's say the numbers are not what people expect them to be, right? Um, we also have to look at women's boxing hasn't been on this platform right. in 20 years. So wherever, what, so whatever the numbers are, we just have to build off of them and do another pay-per-view and build off, okay, we get 50,000, next fight we'll do 75,000. Like just building up off of that because what was the men's first pay-per-view numbers? Nobody talks right. about it because they continue doing it and it probably was small, but they continue building it up and now they are where they are. So women's boxing need to um, start somewhere and continue. Who knows where women's boxing will be at right now if after Jackie Frazier and Layla Ali fought, mm -hmm. if there would have been con con like continuous pay-per-view fights because they did it uh, because they did I think a hundred thousand pay per view. Right, they did, and that was back in a time where there was no social media. Women's boxing was just coming along, but then we also have to count into fact this is Muhammad Ali and Jackie Frey. I mean, right. and Joe and Joe and Joe Frazier's daughter. So that was so that played huge in their in their favor. But now we're in a whole different time. Women's boxing exists, but it's still like we're starting from the bottom all over again. Yeah, and uh, and you make the point. Every journey starts somewhere, and that's where the, this pay per view journey is kind of starting here. Um, you have also talked uh, and are working actively 
to participate in MMA, uh, kind of, you know, becoming a dual threat, uh, certainly not abandoning boxing, and boxing is a big part of what you're doing. But the world of mixed martial arts has an irresistible uh, lure to it for any woman that thinks she's capable because that sport has advanced a little farther for women. How far along are you in terms of your training for that? And uh, what is a reasonable expectation of when you might participate in MMA? Um, I started my MMA training beginning of December. And I spent about a month and a half to two months of time in just MMA training because we didn't know when I was going to have a boxing match. So I had all that free time to just focus on MMA. Um, I've, I've been able to learn a lot because not, well, because I've had some, I'm, I'm at a great gym with great coaches, coach Wink, coach Greg Jackson. Um, I'm training with Holly home and Johnny Bong. I spend, I spend a whole lot of time with them. So, uh, I'm just a natural athlete and I can learn things quick. So stuff that I've been able to learn and, and uh, been able to pick up on, I've been able to pick up on things pretty fast and I'm already doing kickboxing sparring. So that's a plus for me. Um, been practicing the jujitsu, the wrestling, the sprawling, right. the avoiding takedown, getting some takedowns myself, um, how to properly choke and how to properly slam people. It's, it's, it, and it's really an art to it. And um, just really strengthening my legs and my shins because I got long legs. I'm definitely going to use them. So we got some kicking going on and stuff like that. Um, and it's a and it's a very different journey, for sure. And it's been very humbling for me. Um, and the MMA world has um, accepted me with open arms, you know. And, and um, not not saying that boxing hasn't right, but I've done a lot more in boxing, and I've done nothing in MMA yet. Only trained, and. Um, I've seen a lot more support in the MMA world than I've seen um, in boxing. I mean, even Conor McGregor, he saw he saw me training, and he even commented on something, um, and he, he and he gave me some advice. You know, Johnny Bones comes to the gym and he trains and he trains with me, and we drill together. Holly Holm, you know, treats me like I'm a little sister. You know, um, and everybody kind of just opened me with everybody welcomed me with open arms, and uh, it's been some hard training days. But um, I think it'll all be worth it. But you can look forward to seeing me in the middle of June. My MMA debut will be in the middle of June this year. Um, I don't know against who yet, but um, just super excited to just get in there and make a great transition. That's good. So you will have had about a six-month period to uh, to train and and be prepared. And you you rightfully. Uh, understand that the, you know, and this is the way with MMA, the more disciplines you can become even fairly decent at, you know, it's going to help you, uh, you know, perform. I I had Amanda Serrano on recently, and she, of course, has delved into mixed martial arts, and she talked about the humbling, you know, how humbling it is to try and, you know, get those skills and learn them, uh, it, it certainly helps to be a world-class athlete and being involved in combat sports, but it still takes time. Yeah, it, um, it definitely takes time. And um, you have to be honest with yourself and just um, go in there and do the thing that you hate the most. And for me, I've never had to do any kind of fighting on the ground. So yeah. that's something that we've been huge on. And just the wrestling part, you know, if you hold somebody in boxing, the ref come and break it up. 
the ref not going to break it up if they're holding you in the, in the MMA fight. So um, just a lot of different, a lot of different things, but I've just been getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's been great, you know, to go from a sport where I'm the top dog at, and now I'm going to a sport and I'm starting at the bottom. It's still in my mind. I still feel like I'm top dog, but then at the same time, it's like, I realize that I'm not, but I want to be. So that actually gives me the motivation to work harder. Well put. You, um, you're a, a very, you know, um, good spokesman uh, for yourself and your and your the sports you participate and uh, uh, and everything you're involved in, whether it's a business venture or whatever. But when you were younger, uh, communicating was hard for you. You had a a hard time, and you had to to get better communication skills. What kind of breakthrough was that for you when you started to do a better job of communicating? Um, I think it all started when I was a kid. I, I think that I have a problem with feeling like that I'm being, being ignored because I had a, mm-hmm. um, a, bad speaking, a, a bad speech impediment and I stuttered a lot. And um, if people couldn't figure out what I was saying, I would get extremely frustrated. So I used to break down and not talk at all. Mm. You know, so, so to go from, so, so to go from not talking at all to having to learn how to talk, um, that also, so that created um, me to have some anger issues, you know, and Mm. I dealt with the anger issues growing up, but I think boxing is part of the reason why I express myself uh, so well. If things bother me, I let people know. Um, I try to think of the best way to say things. Um, to not offend people, but to just get my point across. But sometimes uh, people have to be offended, you know, and and uh, I'm okay with that. And um, I think that learning how to communicate really is something that we have to learn throughout our whole life because we deal with different people and it's different communication skills. Some people like being yelled at and some people like being talked to and some people if you talk to them nice you never get your point across <laughs> but you know so you so you have to learn yeah. the person that you're communicating with or, or just the area you know and um you know you tell some people to shut up and they and they and they take offense to it and you tell other people to shut up and they laugh right so yeah, right. it's all about knowing who you're communicating with and just yeah. getting your point across and having a real conversation and listening and i think that listening is a big part of communication and i've learned over this time that sometimes it's just best to listen and not, and just, and just not talk. And, um, and I'm great at not talking sometimes, especially when I'm meeting new people and there's new business ventures. I let people just talk, 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 talk. And I listen. And then I can, can then, then I can figure out how to communicate with them to either make our relationship work or to just say, yeah, it's not going to work out for me. Right. So, um, I just think it's funny because all my all my business partners and everybody who I work with, um, I've learned that in business, if somebody talks really, really fast, right, and never gives you a chance to talk back, I just don't work with them. That's mm-hmm. my rule. It's, it's just a, it's just an unwritten rule that I have. So everybody on my team knows that whenever we talk, we always have a conversation. If, right. if you're if you're telling me something, I'm going to ask you questions. We're going to go back and forth, and we're going to you know, I don't want you just to over to over talk me. And whenever I talk back, you like it doesn't work like that. You know, so um, you have to learn that too. Though, so everybody on my team knows. Like, I like to 
have a conversation and understand everything that's going on. Everything. So communication a, is a great skill to have. That, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's intriguing. Well, and everything's an ongoing process. We, I guess we go through life. Uh, figuring out ways to communicate. And I don't think we learn everything until the day we're gone, right? Nope, agreed. Probably, probably, probably not. Um, you had an interesting comment about um, that I saw, I think it might have been with Brian when you did his, uh, his podcast, uh, about how sometimes uh, while boxing hasn't always been as uh, um, uh, welcoming and fair to women's boxing as it, it should be, sometimes it isn't even intentional. You know, sometimes it's there. It's a learning process. And some of that learning curve is happening. And and clearly progress has been made. But I thought you were really I thought it was really a smart, uh, really smart that you could that you're at least trying to recognize when those things are intentional and when they're just part of a baked in system that can be changed. Mm hmm. Yeah, and um, I had spoke about that because, of course, I had a lot of fights with Showtime, right? And, right. and on the journey with them, it was a learning curve for them and also myself. You know, um, when we talk about women's boxing and women who push the sport, usually you have women yelling to the rooftop, equal pay, right. equal fight time, equality, right? And then on the upside, you know, you actually have to just have that communication. And I've, and I've talked to Steven Espinosa and I've said, Hey, you know, you guys promote the guy's fight for eight weeks and you promote my fight for four weeks. But then you guys complain to me about the numbers. Like maybe if you guys promoted me more, you know, and, and, and giving us the same promotional time and giving us some commercials or, you know, or whatever, maybe the numbers would be bigger. And that's just me having a conversation of something that I see. Right. And then also too, but they didn't, it didn't generate with them at the beginning because when last time men, when last time that Showtime had a woman boxer on their, on their stable, upon their stable, like before me. And, and it's, right. and it's been a while. So it's not that they're, you know, a sexist or, or whatever. It's just that they don't um, feel that they need to do the same thing for women or they don't think about it. So I bring a lot of stuff to uh, a lot of things to their attention. And, um, you know, I will also speak about like, you know, you guys do the day in the lives or the 24 sevens or the all accesses for the men, but you guys don't have anything on me or, you know, um, stuff like that I would bring to their attention and, and they actually listened and uh, we were able to have, you know, conversations, but still sometimes they would still drop the ball. But at the end of the day, um, they did try, um, but I just think that, I don't know. They just kind of look at it as women's boxing. It's like, look, it's all, this, it's all the same sport. So the definition of equal is 10 equals 10. Whatever you do on this side, you do right. for that side, right? And so when the sport of boxing learns that women's boxing will flourish, right? But right now, um, people just still don't understand that 100 equals 100. Like, it's not 100 equals 50. It's like, whatever, men, women, equal, right? We're on the same level. We do the same sport. We take the same risk. Um, but, and also, we need to fight the same fight time. It's not that women are against fighting the same fight time. That's not true. 
there's been rules put in place to prevent us from doing that. Right. There is no woman who says, oh, no, I, you know, I don't think that my body is in good enough shape to do 12 three-minute rounds. It's not a woman world champion who will say that because right. it's not true. It's all about preparation. But all these rules have been put in place, I feel, to keep us down, to keep us unequal. So where they can say, oh, well, you don't get paid as much as the men because you don't fight the same amount of time. And guess what? They're absolutely right. We only fight 20 minutes compared to 36. But guess what? I spar 36 minutes and I spar against men for three minutes, 12, uh, for three minutes, 12 rounds. So, and it's also other women that do it too. So as soon as that rule gets changed, I think that everything will start being equal because in MMA, everything's the same. And that's right. why the women over there are, are, are respected more than women boxers. But I'm going to show them that even though women boxers don't get the respect that we are something to be reckoned with because I'm going to go over to the MMA. I'm going to kick a lot of ass into where they're going to be like, wow, women's boxers are athletic. Mm -hmm. They do punch hard. They are explosive because we, uh, we haven't been given a platform to show to, to, to showcase that and be looking and to be, and to have a look at as the man is looked at, like, you know, 12, three minute rounds is really what we need, you know, but to, but for them to tell us that we're less than, that's interesting. So you, I'm hearing you put a lot of emphasis on that specific rule. And every woman, female boxer I've ever talked to has said they would like it to be three-minute rounds. Um, I haven't talked to any that have not said that. So you think that rule has a pretty big impact overall, don't you? Absolutely, because you hear it all the time. Why should you get paid the same mm. if you don't fight? If you don't fight the same amount of time, that's like somebody working the same job, but not working as many hours as somebody else, but they get right. paid the same. And I'm like, look, we totally agree. We're right. not asking. We're not asking for you to pay us the same and us fight less. We're asking for you to pay us the same and we fight the same amount of time. Interesting. Yeah. But and, and they're not giving us that opportunity. And it's yeah. all these rules put in place. And it's just terrible. We have to keep telling them. Like, yeah. I actually heard a man say, that these rules were put in place to protect us. And, and no disrespect to that man, but I didn't ask for his fucking protection. You know, this is boxing. <laughs> this is boxing. And you're not going to protect the men. Once we sign that paper, that paper and you're a professional boxer, we know what comes with that. So I didn't ask to be protected. I asked to be respected. Two different things. So they can take the protection part out because they're not protecting me by not paying me like the men by treating me right. un, uh, un, uh, unequally, making it hard for me to provide for my family. That's not protecting me. If that's what they think. Like, if I want to be protected, I would go play double dutch or I would go, you know, be a damn cheerleader or something. Mm. I chose boxing. So... Interesting. And of course, those choices, it is intriguing because women didn't make the choice to uh, to fight two minute rounds. Uh, men made the choice for them. So um, clearly. And do you see that changing at all? Have you sensed any uh, movement that you could point to that commissions might be willing to rethink this? So the WBA has already told me whenever I want to fight a three minute uh, fight for three, a three minute, 10 rounds or three minute, 12 rounds. As long as my opponent agrees, we can do it. Okay. Because I am a world title holder. Right. Um, so after this fight with Marie Evie DeCare, I will be fighting three 
10 minute rounds. Interesting. Okay. I mean, uh, 10 three minute rounds. And I'm just going to do that to show them that one, it's, it's three minutes and it's 10 rounds, but hopefully we can get three, if we can get three minutes and 10 rounds, you know, edge and stone, then maybe the girls who are coming up behind me, they can say, hey, just add two more rounds. It's only six minutes, right? And, and it won't be such of a big fight. Instead of having, you know, have to have them fight for, keep on fighting for it, just three minutes, period. Now they can say, well, we already fight three minutes for 10 rounds. You might as well just let us, we, we, we've been doing this for five years. We might as well let us fight the exact same time as the men as, um, as we've had time to condition our bodies, right? And right. to get ready for a 12 round fight for three minutes. And that's the only way that I see it changing. But we got to start now. So after this fight with Marie Eve Decare, I will be fighting three. Uh, well, I, I will be fighting three minutes, you know, uh, 10 rounds against whoever my opponent is. That's great. That's a proactive way to create change by using uh, your, obviously, the best, uh, the you one of the faces, the main face of women's boxing. So for you to do it and show it as an example is a great way to, to kind of start the change happening. And I believe that the other women champions will follow. Uh, Katie yeah. Taylor, Amanda Serrano, yeah. Jessica McCaskill, Cecilia. Um, sure. If they really believe in the change, right? If they really believe like, right. okay, we don't get paid like the men because we don't fight as much time as the men. Well, let's fix that. So they should all be behind me, and then we should all be doing it together. Because the more of us that do it, especially the world champions, and putting it on that uh, world class platform, I think it'll be able to change all the organizations' uh, rules, and we'll be able to actually progress our sport. Very interesting. Yeah, that's well. That's a way to demonstrate it can be done, and then and that could uh, cascade with uh, results. You know, shortly after that. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, visit with me. Uh, your event on March 5th should be a, a terrific one. Uh, Eva Dakar and you uh, in the main event and an all-woman's card underneath a pay-per-view, which, by the way, has been priced, I think, appropriately and will help you uh, probably uh, will help with the success uh, of the event. And I know you, you have to be very excited overall about the event. Absolutely. And I just want to say something. www.fitetv.com is where you go to buy the pay-per-view. But on the undercard, we have a real woman, super heavyweight. I mean, freaking heavyweight fight. This girl named Danielle Perkins. I mean, she's a real stacked heavyweight. Usually in women's boxing, you get the short, stubby heavyweights, kind of, you know, round, kind of right. butter beanish looking. Oh, she's she's kind of built like Evander Holyfield. No disrespect to her, you know. This is she right. she she's built she's saying. built very very strong. Right. She got some broad shoulders. She punches hard. She's aggressive. She's tall. She's like six two. I think that she's going to bring a lot of noise because women's boxing has never been respected in the heavyweight division, and uh she and uh, she's a real heavyweight. So uh, so I'm excited to see her. Uh, throw down in person. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and the higher weight classes, and higher even being where your weight classes are, higher than previously in women, that's where women's boxing didn't used to have the depth that it's starting to have now. And there are more women in the higher weight classes now that, uh, that are effective and good boxers, and that's helping the sport. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. 
Hey, thank you. Thank you so much, Clarissa. I appreciate you visiting with me and uh, good luck. No problem. Thank you. See you March 5th. So that was uh, my chat with Clarissa Shields. And I, I found the interesting, the part in which she talked about the fact that uh, she thinks her, her image comes off harsher to some people than it really is. And a lot of that has to do with, I think, her presence on Twitter, where she will chop it up with folks and, and get down with them uh, when uh, somebody challenges her or, uh, or there's uh, somebody that makes a public statement she doesn't like. What you saw in that interview is, I think, maybe what she feels like she is and wants to portray, very thoughtful, interesting, insightful uh, woman who has, as I said in the interview, gotten way past some of the earlier issues she had when she was a youngster in terms of communicating. She is a terrific communicator uh, and uh, is very good at presenting uh, all her thoughts uh, and and has thoughts on a wide range of uh, issues in the world of boxing and the world of business. So I, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I certainly enjoyed talking to her. And um, uh, and and Trip, if I'm not mistaken, we still have questions to do. We do. And uh, Wreck It Walk asks Al, what do you see happening in the heavyweight division in the next three to five years? The results of AJ Fury should have some ramifications that last a decade, at least in his opinion. Yeah, they could well. Uh, you know, the heavyweight division is fascinating. Um, of course, we know that Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury will be tied up with each other for the better part of this year, probably the whole year, because the deal that's probably likely to come down for them is going to involve two fights. Uh, and so that would certainly take them to the end of the year. Uh, and they are, Joshua's 31 and, uh, and Fury's 32. But more importantly, while that's still a young age for a heavyweight, they tend to blossom in their 30s. They've both talked about getting out of the sport uh, in the near future. And the other point is, both of them will have made, by the time they're done facing each other, between other fights they've had that were major paydays and that, both of these men will have made many millions of dollars from boxing. And that's an allure to getting out of the sport when you've made that much money. Now, the other part of the major uh, players in that uh, in the heavyweight equation is Deontay Wilder, who is 35 years of age. And uh, because of the nature, not only of his loss to Tyson Fury, but some of the aftermath, uh, <laughs> which has been, you know, a, a bit difficult for him in terms of messaging and all the rest, um, people are wondering where he's at. Uh, he's going to have to find a path for himself. And at age 35, Though that again, that's not soup. That's not considered that old for heavyweights because they tend to be around. One of the heavyweight contenders, Luis Ortiz, is 41 and still fighting at a fairly high level. Um, so how does that how does that move this division forward? Another point to be made is that every single heavyweight contender, with the exception of Joseph Parker, is over 30 years of age. Andy Ruiz, who's trying to come back uh, with a new trainer and and is a potential opponent for Wilder's 31. Uh, Joe Joyce, who just who's relatively new to the heavyweight division and just won a big fight over Daniel Dubois, is new to the heavyweight division, but he's 35 years of age because he had an amateur career that lasted for a while and got into boxing late. Alexander Usyk, the former cruiserweight champ, just got into the heavyweight division, but he's 34. So 
it would take a crystal ball to figure out four years from now what this division is going to look like because by then many of these people will be either way at the end of their career or even out of boxing. So uh, the next few years, uh, we know the three-headed monster of Joshua Fury and Wilder will likely reign, and then some of these other folks hope that they can get their chance um, in the division. Right, and we know that Mark Breland will not be involved with uh, Wilder coming, uh, or at least in the very near future. We do know that. No, I, th I doubt that they will ever connect again, <laughs> and they have had a very uh, contentious uh, relationship in the media. Finally, Mark Breland kind of speaking out a little bit. Let's go to Jesus Rodriguez has a great question. Al, this is a must-answer question. Ah, Big well, fight then we coming must up. answer it. Yeah, well, I get that's what we're here for. Yeah. Burchelt Valdez. Everyone is talking about a lot of great lightweights. Ryan Garcia, Devante Davis, Haney, Lopez, Loma. Why is no one talking about Burchelt? Do any of them really want to fight him? I think he cleans up in the division. What do you think, Al? Well, Miguel Burchelt, who has a big fight coming up uh, in days with... Uh, um, Oscar Valdez, a, a, a terrific fight, uh, is at 130 pounds. So he's not up at the lightweight division yet, though Gervonta Davis could certainly fight him at 130. Davis still holds a 130-pound title. Uh, if Burchelt moves up to that 135-pound limit, which he certainly could, there is no question that he would be an immediate player because he is one of the most exciting fighters in boxing. And I think he's right. Miguel Burchell probably doesn't get enough attention. He's exciting. He's been involved in great fights. Uh, he's got power. He's got skill. And every time he steps in the ring, it, it is interesting for boxing fans. And certainly his fight with Oscar Valdez appears to be that. Now, if he gets past Oscar Valdez, where does was Burchelt go? Where does he look now? Uh, within his division, or does he step up to 135 pounds? Only he knows whether he feels he can uh, perform as well at that higher weight division, but clearly that's not uh, much higher. Uh, and there would be, he would add to that what is already an amazing lightweight landscape. So that would be pretty extraordinary. And I 100% and I, I agree that Miguel Burchelt should be getting much more attention than than he is and and I think if he beats Oscar Valdez and does so very convincingly uh, that the boxing world is going to take notice of that and uh, uh, and then it's up to him whether he wants to stay at 130 or move up to 135. Um, we on this show uh, always point you to uh, a very fine YouTube channel uh, the world-class boxing channel uh, that our friend Tommy Ankello uh, puts out uh, it's got great videos, uh, instructional videos for young fighters that want to learn about the sport and for anyone that wants to learn about the sport and understand some of the nuances of what people do in the ring. Uh, they're fascinating videos and you'll uh, get a kick out of those for sure. Uh, we are uh, going to have as our next two guests, uh, one will be uh, Jerry Eisenberg, who is one of the best and greatest newspaper writers that has ever lived. Jerry is now 90 years of age and at 90, Trip wrote his first novel. Good to get an early start. Yes. He, I mean, he's written, he's been a sports writer and written 
you know, a dozen sports books, and we're going to be talking to you about one of them, which is uh, uh, There Once Were Giants, uh, which is a book about the heavyweight division and how it was back in the day uh, and whether it could ever return. Uh, but yeah, at age 90, he decided, I think I should write in my first novel. So that's pretty amazing. Jerry is a opinionated, uh, fascinating man. And uh, we're going to talk to him about the heavyweight landscape of the past and his book. And it's coming right around uh, the anniversary of the uh, Muhammad Ali-Joe Frazier fight, which was held on March 8th many years ago. So uh, we're going to have fun talking to him. And then... We're going to talk to our friend Snoop Dogg, who is going to uh, visit us and talk about some very important, uh, he's going to give us some important news about some boxing things that he's involved in. And of course, we're going to take that opportunity to just chat with him in general about his love of boxing, uh, how he views the sport, uh, his entrance into the sport. And uh, we'll chat about his music as well and his career. And the fact that no one other, with the possible exception of Madonna, has reinvented themselves more times than Snoop Dogg uh, and done so effectively. And, yeah, he just one of the characters in a sport filled with characters. Yeah, he's brings, he brings something else to boxing, and uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. So we're going to chat with Snoop Dogg uh, after that. We're also going to have David Benavides on the show uh, uh, talking about his fight upcoming. So we've got uh, a lot of fun guests uh, upcoming, and uh, we hope that you will join us. I want to thank Clarissa Shields for joining us on this show. Uh, my thanks to Trip, as always, for doing a fine job as my co-host. And my thanks to you for watching. Much appreciated. Take care. <laughs>